Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, live from New York City, ailing President Biden tries to jumpstart his re-election campaign as the polls show the Democrats are sleepwalking into potential electoral disaster. If they really think Trump's a democracy-wrecking demagogue, why don't they have a plan to beat him that may work? We'll debate that, and I'll talk to the only selected Democrat who's challenging the president. And the world's biggest aviation authority says it's actively recruiting more people with mental health problems. A victory for inclusion or plain stupid? Matt Walsh returns to Uncensored to discuss that and more. Live from New York, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Good evening from New York. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Whether we monarchist Brits like to admit it or not, the President of the United States is the single most important person in the world, commanding the world's mightiest military and holding the purse strings of its biggest economy. The President could end Israel's war in Gaza with a phone call or decide if Ukraine gets the backing it needs to beat Putin. At least that's the general idea. But the current Commander-in-Chief is 81, seemingly going on 181, after a lifetime of distinguished public service as a pragmatic politician and, in my view, a thoroughly decent human being, President Biden looks increasingly unfit for service. And with the president invisible decline, his re-election campaign is, well, transitioning. You might say its pronouns are changing before our very eyes. The two most important women in President Biden's life have been sent out to jumpstart the 2024 race. Wildly unpopular VP Kamala Harris said this... We've got 10 months to go until the election. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, and you've seen it even just this week, um, we are all starting to narrow in on what this election will mean. Yeah. And it's going to be the choice between what is about respecting our democracy, what is about competence versus chaos. Well, the vice president is right. Competence is crucially important. But her own boss has trouble getting up the stairs and can't seem to find a way off a stage. His frequent verbal and physical stumbles are the subject of both comedy and concern. Most people responded with laughter and derision, for example, when First Lady Jill Biden said this about him. I see Joe every day. I see him out, you know, travelling around this country. I see his vigour. I see his energy. To those who say, I can't vote for Joe Biden, he's too old. What do you say? I say his age is an asset. Hmm. Energy and vigour. Not quite what I'm seeing. You can make a plausible case for the wise old statesman with a firm hand on the tiller, but campaigning on Biden's vigour may well fast-track Donald Trump, who does have a lot of vigour, to the White House. Now, at 77, Trump's no spring chicken himself, but with his diet-defying swagger and showmanship, most people, on his side, seem to be believing him when he says things like this. I feel like I'm about 35 years old. I actually feel better now than I did 30 years ago. Tell me, is that crazy? I feel better now. And I think cognitively I'm better than I was 20 years ago. I don't know why. 
That is a slightly more debatable subject, uh, Mr Trump, but a whopping 77% of Americans, both Republican and Democrats, believe that Biden is simply too old to run the country. Almost 70% think he's mismanaged a crisis at the southern border. Just 13% say they're financially better off on his watch. At this stage of his term, he's the least popular US president in recorded history. And this stuff matters. US politics is almost hysterically polarised to the rest of us outside America, but most voters are, in fact, ready to be persuaded. White working-class voters ditched the Democrats to propel Trump to office in 2016. Now more and more Hispanic and black voters are shifting Republican too. Biden says he's the only man who's ever beaten Trump, and that's true. But right now, he may be the only one who can lose to Trump in November. Well, I'm joined by my super PAC here in the studio in New York, co-host of The Breakfast Club, Charlemagne the God, host of The Rubin Report, Dave Rubin, and the Democrat strategist and Fox News contributor, Jessica Tarlov, who I could hear her lips pursing <laughs> as I read that monologue. That <laughs> I could feel them pursing. I appreciate, though, I saw you tempered it a bit. Whoever <clears throat> put it in the counter was harsher than you were. I could feel the pursing. <laughs> I was raining back in real time. Um, let me start with you, Jessica, because I, I like Joe Biden personally. Yeah. I think he's got a lot of very admirable qualities as a human being. And his own story, you know, the fact he lost his wife and a baby when he was a, a, just a senator, he then lost another son. Anyone that can do that and still do the job he's doing will always have my admiration. But there is no doubt he is in real trouble here. Is there any doubt? I mean, can you paint a picture that isn't as grim as the one I painted? Oh, I definitely can do that. And I've been preparing <laughs> for three and a half minutes uh, to get the chance. I... I'm not going to start by denying that the age factor is massive in all of this. And I think that people's concerns as well about Kamala Harris and her readiness to take over informs that. If there was a hugely popular vice president kind of waiting in the wings, I think things might feel a bit different for people. But 81 is 81. There are some 81-year-olds. We all watch Warren Buffett, right? Mick Jagger is 80. Yes. Nearly 81. He would have a different kind of agenda for the country. But, yes, he does. <laughs> might be quite a popular right. one. Yeah, that would be pretty I, huh? I wouldn't hate it. Um, <laughs> but there is a problem going on right now with media coverage of the Biden presidency, and there are problems with the Biden campaign. What are the problems? So I'll start with media coverage. Everybody knows now that you want to print stories that get clicks, and negative stories are the ones that do it. Even people who are huge supporters of the president focus on all the polls that are negative. Mm. Like, most people wouldn't know that if you went to the Real Clear Politics homepage and clicked on polls, the average has Joe Biden down just one percentage point to Trump. You would think that he was getting trounced. You'd look at swing state polls and you'd see that in a lot of the swing states, like Pennsylvania, for instance, which is going to be a huge deal, he's up massively. We only talked about the fact that he was down in one Michigan poll last week. In terms of the economic news, the Wall Street Journal, our very own Wall Street Journal here at News Corp, um, had a hugely optimistic set of editorials out there. It's 62% of Americans think the next year, so 2024 election year, is going to be better for them. When are they going to go and vote? In November. That's a lot of time for this economic recovery to really settle in for people. But no one wants to talk about that. It's not popular. It's not good clickbait. The second part about the campaign, and this is where I think the Obama folks who have been perhaps too publicly critical, I think, of the Biden campaign, their ground game is not visible to folks. They don't feel like they're there in Nevada, in Arizona, in Georgia, in these states that we desperately need to win. And they are working on that. And I think that the president himself needs to be more visible. I, if I was working in the White House, I would have him out there all the time. I understand you might be risking would you? You see, a I stumble. Would... 
I wouldn't. I'd but do what they did with him last time. I'd keep him, keep him in a dungeon. I mean, Dave, look, <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. I think the problem is not, excuse me, it's not his age. I think that Joe Biden's problem is the clear senility yeah. that's going with his age. Like I said, I met Mick Jagger last summer, absolutely bursting with the vim and vigour that Jill wants us to believe she sees in right. Joe. Look, Piers, do, do any of us sitting at this table or anyone watching this think that he could run one shift at McDonald's? And I don't mean that as a shot for someone that works at McDonald's. There well, is that's something what a lot of cognitively... But, but I don't think he could. I think a lot of senior citizens could, because I don't think it's an age thing. I agree with you. It's a, it's a cognitive... Dame Joan ability. Collins at the Emmys stole the show. Yes. She's 90 years old. Good friend of mine. She looks about 50, and she has the mental acuity of a 50-year-old. She has vim and vigour. So, I, you know, Jill Biden is right to say it's about vim and vigour, but her husband doesn't exude it. Well, look, let's put it this way. You opened by saying something about ailing Joe Biden, yeah. and I thought, oh, I haven't looked at my phone in 20 minutes. Did something <laughs> else happen? It's a general <laughs> ailing. It's, it's ailing. Yes, we all know it. The wandering off when they put get him off the plane and the confusion. He literally on camera last, what was it, two years ago, said, let's go, let's go, Brandon. Mm. Like, something is not right. We all know it. And I would say respectfully, in terms of the polls and everything, People don't vote on what really matters. We vote on what we can feel, mm. right? And I think because of that, people are going, Donald Trump, he seems back, there's energy there, and there's just no energy with well, Biden, Trump, and nobody, I, Trump, nobody I, likes Kamala. That's but Trump has piece. lost every election except 2016. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, he's and, a loser. And, yeah, except, right, except, right to the point, the Democrats decided to finish him off with 91 criminal charges and thought, this'll do him, mm. he's down, he's wounded, and Precisely. we'll get him. And it's had the complete opposite effect. He has used that to play the martyr, the victim. It has fueled a resurgent Trump. And you cannot deny... I mean, I've seen people try to downplay what happened to Iowa. But if that had been Joe Biden who'd done that at Iowa, you'd be saying, this is unbelievable. It's a landslide. It's amazing. He's killing them, right? Trump is back and I think will definitely be the nominee, regardless, unless there's some extraordinary twist of events. He's exuding the air of someone on a mission. He's got vim and vigour. And whether you love him or hate him, and it's equal doses with Trump, you've got to say, Trump v Biden in November? I could see Trump winning that. Is there anything about Iowa that makes you say maybe uh, Republicans should pivot and go to somebody like a Nikki Haley, maybe? Like, when you see that she picks up, uh, you know, a lot of Democrats, a lot of independents, do you think that they're doing themselves a disservice by maybe not getting behind her? Possibly. Because, because you know the, the GOP is going to fall in line, and she's somebody who seems like they can pick up votes from, from both sides. Yeah, I mean, but you yourself you know, made news by talking about the vim and vigor claimed by Jill Biden, didn't you? I mean, you're not, oh, yeah, I don't see the vim and you're, you're not Biden. Vim, whatever vim and vigor, or whatever it is. Yeah, and I had I had a great time on your Breakfast Club show uh, yesterday, and it was it was really enlightening conversation we had. But you know, it's not that I like you said. Are you, are you telling people to vote Trump? No. It's not for me to tell people how to vote in this country. And I've been right. very critical of Trump in the last... Since certainly, overall, the whole the stolen election nonsense, the January 6th thing, I wasn't buying into any of that. And in a way, I felt that was disqualifying. But we are where we are. It didn't disqualify him. Mm -hmm. He could actually go to prison and still be president of the United States, constitutionally. Mm -hmm. So we're into completely uncharted territory. All I do feel is the more the Democrats have tried to kill him off, particularly with all these criminal charges the more that even Republicans that don't like him have gone, you know what, it is a witch hunt. The Liberals are trying to nail up this guy. He's one of us. We're going to back him. And so it's been self-defeating. Mm -hmm.
A bit I, like the Russian collusion thing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, I think the interesting thing is if you're going to use language like, you know, this is going to be the end of democracy as we know it, then there needs to be a sense of urgency. Like you said, when is the ground game going to start? Why is the ground game just start now if it's going to be, you know, the end of democracy? And I think that's what scares people, too. If, if, if we see the, the clear and, to me anyway, the clear and present danger that could be a second Trump presidency, is the Biden-Harris ticket a winnable ticket. I'm a person who voted for Joe Biden in 2020, so I don't think it's anything wrong with asking that question. You think it's a winnable ticket? I don't know. When I look at the polls, I don't think so. You know, I think that uh, a 60-plus-year-old... No incumbent president with mm -hmm. this poll rating that Biden's currently at in the low 30s has yeah. ever been re-elected. Yeah, I don't, I don't... I mean, yeah, when I look at it, I don't think so. You, mean, you never know. You can, you can say it's 50-50, but I think a 60-plus-year-old Joe Biden, you know, with the things he's done as far as, like, you know, the infrastructure bill, even, even the student loan forgiveness, you know, the way the economy is now, I think a 60-something-year-old Joe Biden... Joe he, also Biden said to you, he also said to you on your show, which again made headlines, make a lot of headlines, mm -hmm. Charlotte, <laughs> I'm jealous, um, but he said, if you're black and you don't vote for me, you're not black. <laughs> he meant it as a joke, but what did you think when he said that? Was that, was that a sense of entitlement, a bit of arrogance about the African-American vote? I think that, you know, he has too many uh, black friends around him and they made him feel comfortable enough to make that joke. I feel like he probably had a bunch of black people around him who have said that exact language because when they say that, they're saying that, hey, if you vote for Trump, you're literally voting, you know, against your own interests as a black person. And I think he's heard that a bunch of times, so he thought that that would have been a okay. nice little... Well, Dave, I, Dave, I, Dave, nice little... let me ask you a specific thing, Dave, yeah. about this, right? So Trump, this is where I have a problem with Trump. <clears throat> Every time I sort of... You know, I, I, he makes me laugh, right? He just does. When he said that thing on the eve of Iowa, that even if it kills you, yeah. come out and vote it, you've got to laugh. But watching po-faced liberals lose their mind yes. when he does that stuff makes me chuckle, right? I, I see myself as pretty down the middle, but I just I think he's funny and, he's, and he can make people laugh. But when he says this, I don't laugh, right? He said, the President of the United States on Truth Social yesterday, the President of the United States must have full immunity without which it would be impossible for him her to properly function. Any mistake, even if well-intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. For even events that cross the line must fall under total immunity. I, so, right, so, right. I, so I tweeted, yeah. so if President Biden orders yeah. the immediate assassination of you, Donald Trump, that's OK, is it? That's covered. What you're explaining is the true magic of Donald Trump, whether you love his policies or not. Because on one hand, you're going, well, there are certain lines when he pokes fun at the... Yeah, but he world. means this. No, no. So but so your line now is, he put it in quotes, crosses the line... No, I can, tell, thus, I can, tell, when, I can tell when he's laughing and joking. So you think, you think when he says cross the line, what he meant was, I can take out Joe Biden... No, no that was Biden. me suggesting yeah. that that's where you take the argument. But what do you think he means? I, mean, I, I think what he means... Would kill I think, he, I think he, no, 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 I think he's actually, as always with Trump, it's self-interest. Yeah. He wants to basically make sure he can't he be prosecuted. He means Jack Smith, go home. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what he yeah. means. Yeah. And, he's, not... and if the corollary is my political opponent could kill someone, he then wants to talk about 2016 when we all ran around and said, you know, he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue yes. and, his, and his supporters wouldn't by care. This, I, by I, this I, new criteria, he could do that and get away with it. Right. Well, I think there are some legal questions as per what a president is allowed to get away with and one not be prosecuted so. after. But I'm pretty sure murder is not one of them, like outright murder. We don't know that. He, said, he would like it to be. He would like anything that crosses the line to fall under total immunity. The man has open adulation for Xi Jinping. That's right. Yeah. For Kim Jong-un. That's right. He... He's a wannabe dictator, and I don't... You know, I've been at Fox News my entire media career. I do not fancy myself an MSNBC-type person who wants to lose their mind about no, this. No, no, no. 
But that is very serious to have someone who was the leader of the free world and is running to be it again, to believe that these people who are anathema to democracy are doing it right. What did you feel? Sure. When Kamala, and, 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 and also, too, though, yeah. we're acting like, you know, it's not just rhetoric. Yes, he said he wanted to be a dictator for a day. Yes, he said, you know, he should be immune from killing, you know, immune from killing his political rivals. But he also attempted a coup at his country, guys. Right. Like, why are we acting like that did not happen? Why are we keep acting like January 6th well, did not happen? I mean, it didn't happen. I mean, what, that a bunch of people showed up with no plans, no weapons? I mean, I, I'm not defending the people that actually broke windows or anything else. But, but there was no coup. There was no That was an attempted coup in this country. I got eyes but, and ears. There, I'm, there I'm not a political no, expert, was but there I, saw, a plan? I know what I saw. Was there a plan? Did anyone have a well, piece of paper that said Proud this is Boys what we're Proud Boys had a plan, do? and they were invited well, into the White House. There were people with well, zip ties. That's not a casual thing that you walk no, no, around I'm with. Not there were, I'm not diminishing They went after the that, ballot box. Just they were talking about hanging the there vice were president. There were 1,000. There were only 100 bad ones, let's say. That doesn't mean that it wasn't an attempted coup fomented by the president of the United States right. of America. I mean, does and, anyone honestly think that Donald Trump thought that the next day he would be president, you know, post... Well, Bill Barr, potential Bill Barr does, which is why he finally had to go. There are people, I mean, what was so powerful about the January 6th committee and what they were able to put together is the fact that they used almost exclusively Republican testimony, people who had worked for him. I mean, look at the text messages from his own son to Mark Meadows or what Ivanka had to be honest about when she testified or Jared Kushner or Cassidy Hutchinson who they're going after now. I mean, he made a mockery of our system. And frankly, I mean, it speaks to the strength of our institutions and the backbone of Mike Pence for that eight hours that he was able to say, I thought no, it was I'm a going... pretty, I gotta say, it was a pretty terrifying spectacle. I'm sure watching it abroad, you thought, well, no, what the I, hell is going on? I here? remember emailing one of his team and saying, "What? you've got to get him out there and call this thing off. And he didn't for a long period of time while this mayhem was erupting. You can dress it any way you like. You can spin it any way you like. It was like. an attempt to cool. Thousands of people whipped up into a mindset of we have to stop this democratic stop action yeah. happening, stormed into the epicentre of American politics, and they tried to take control and, in their eyes, stop democracy happening. Yeah, now, the, li the liberal response, yeah. by the way, which is to classic liberal response, which is completely half-assed, which is to say, right, let's take him off the ballot now in loads of different states, is obviously stupid. Right, because that is the you rocket don't, fuel. You don't you try and earlier. stop a guy you think has tried to thwart democracy by thwarting democracy. Can I tell you, say two things? One, Charlemagne brought up a point that I wanted to add on to that's really important about the vim and vigor, right? So Donald Trump, I don't think that he's going to trip and fall and die tomorrow. But when people do see him, he's talking... Absolute rubbish. He's, right? often, he's so done he, that for 50 years. <laughs> I mean, right. come on. But people, I, I agree. I, and I didn't even like his shows when it was on regular TV. But my point even is... Even when I appeared? No come offense. on, the 2008 Celebrity Apprentice was the stuff of Sorry, I didn't a masterpiece. But the kind of communication that he's putting out there, he's, even in the last 48 hours, we went from Iowa, I was there, I was on air, and I said this is a big accomplishment for mm. him. He's being conciliatory. How long will it last? Then we got to immigrants are poisoning the blood of America. Mm -hmm. Then defaming a woman who he's been charged. They found him guilty of sexually assaulting her. He continues with that. He's talking about how magnets work in water, you know, using ID to buy a loaf of bread. It's not like people who are at home are saying, this guy's got it together and this guy doesn't. No, but you know what I'm it is? Even you, you, any of you know what? We're going to yeah. come back. I'm, yeah. I'm going to talk uh, after the break to Dean Phillips and keep you guys here to react to that. But I also want to talk about what Jamie Dimon said, 
which I thought was really interesting, when he said that if you call everyone who's a MAGA a supporter, a supporter of Trump, you call them a bunch of crazies, then you are completely missing the point why most of them actually want to vote for Trump, which is economy, foreign policy, uh, the border, all these things which he was strong on last time. He said that's why they want him back, because they feel they've been let down on that by Biden. We'll talk about that after the break. Uh, stay with me. Uncensored next. More from my New York super fan. I'll be talking about the Democratic presidential candidate who wants Joe Biden to stand aside. He's Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips, and he'll be here live in a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored, live from New York City. Democrats are privately fretting about President Biden's disastrous polling in the race for the White House. Very few of them are prepared to say it out loud. Only one elected Democrat has been bold enough to run against the incumbent president. And US Representative Dean Phillips is that man and joins me now. Well, Mr Phillips, thank you for joining me. I guess the first question for the global audience is who are you and why do you want to be president? <laughs> who am I and why do I want to be president? Well... I'll tell you my quick story. I lost my father in the Vietnam War. He was a soldier who served his country and gave his life to our country. Uh, I got very lucky. Three years later, my mom remarried. I was adopted into a remarkable family. Uh, one of many blessings, uh, including business, philanthropy. My grandmother was the advice columnist, Dear Abby. Uh, entered our family business, built Belvedere Vodka, then sold that. Built Talenti Gelato, the ice cream brand. And Piers, I woke up the morning after the 2016 election. I found my youngest daughter in her bedroom in tears. And I recognize life has changed in America and around the world. I promised them, my two daughters, I would do something. I ran for Congress. I flipped a district that had not elected a Democrat since 1958. And I beat an incumbent by, who had won by 14 points. I beat him by 12. And I got to the U.S. Congress in 2019 and found an unmitigated, dysfunctional disaster that is easily fixed with good leadership peers. And you ask why I'm running for president? Well, the overwhelming exhausted majority of Americans, center-right, center-left Americans, common-sense people are tired of this. They want to turn the page from both Trump and Biden. And I tell you, I tried to get the president to pass the torch. I called other candidates who are better known than me. None of them would do it. So I thought it was time for courage. My father gave his life to this country. And I entered the race because if not now, when? And if not me, who? And I got to tell you, Pierce, it is a joyful journey. And Americans are not as divided as angertainment would have us believe. And I'm going to make change in a common-sense, decent way that engages Democrats and Republicans and moves beyond okay. this dangerous nonsense. Well, look, everything you say makes perfect sense, except this. Joe Biden, if he doesn't stand down, will be the nominee. Now, twice in post-Second World War history, there has been an incumbent Democrat president who has done that. You know, Lyndon Johnson did it, and there was another president who did it. Um, they stood down and didn't go forward. But if Joe Biden doesn't do that voluntarily, you have no way in. Well, Piers, I don't, I, don't, I don't buy into that. I'll tell you, I've spent my life, my professional life, disrupting uh, businesses and categories, trying to disrupt the U.S. Congress that is in desperate need of it. And that's why I'm doing this again. As long as American voters actually get out and vote in the primary, anything is possible. Joe Biden's not a bad man. He's a good man. But he's 81 years old. He's facing the lowest approval numbers in American presidential history. Every poll he's losing, including the battleground states. 
and even you know Charlemagne the God, who was just on with you moments ago, and I was on the Breakfast Club just uh, about a week ago. Uh, he's speaking the, the truth too, are. saying the quiet part out mm -hmm. loud. He's not electable. So Democrats will have a choice, peers, sometime soon, to either go and coordinate a candidate who is going to lose, or go with hope and optimism and a brighter future uh, with a candidate, me, who's 54 years old, and able, willing, competent, and ready to combine the very best of center-right, center-left thinking in America and stop the nonsense and win. That's the choice of American voters, and we got to practice democracy, not just talk about it. All right, look, you haven't got much time. Give me three things you would do if you were president tomorrow. Top priorities. Oh, let me start with... The let me, start, let me talk about executive leadership. I will have a bipartisan cabinet of the best and brightest Americans, Democrats and Republicans. I will have a youth cabinet. I will employ zero-based budgeting. I will actually manage our federal government in a fiscally responsible manner. Uh, I will address the southern border, which is an unmitigated mess and disaster, inhumane, horrible for our economy and our international reputation, and we have, must reform our asylum policies. And then I will do what is most important for Americans right now, Costs and chaos are out of control. Life is unaffordable. 60% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, 40% cannot afford a $400 emergency. We've got to attack affordability. And we've got to end the chaos, not just in the United States, but all around the world. End the wars, invest in peace, and bring this country together and do our best to bring this world together before it's too late, Piers. And that's going to take all of us. And by the way, as some have noted, Jamie Dimon, about Biden condemning all Trump supporters, mm -hmm. I welcome and invite Trump supporters. I love everybody. As long as you are people of principle and decency and want to work together, Pierce, we got to change this nonsense. The two parties are the problem. And I'm running for change, and I don't mind that disruption because I think most people want it. Well, it's good of you to uh, join me, Mr. Phillips. I would personally say you probably have two hopes of succeeding, no hope and Bob Hope, but I do admire the aspiration. And I actually like the cut of your jib as well. So you never know in politics, right? Hey, you never know. you got to give it a shot. And by the way, mark my words, watch here in New Hampshire on January 23rd, just four days from now. You might be surprised. I, I look forward to it. I would love to be surprised. Dean Phillips, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Charlemagne, you got... Uh... What an optimist you are, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I am? I'm, I'm an optimist tinged with being a realist, right? You've got to be real about this. I don't think Joe Biden has shown any indication of wanting to stand down at all. Unless he voluntarily does that, is persuaded to, he is going to be the nominee. Right, and for someone like you, mm -hmm. um, you've become, with your show, various shows, but The Breakfast Club in particular has this extraordinary number of young black people who tune in religiously to listen to it, to watch it, and to think, what do they want? What do they want from their president? I mean, they've got two elderly white guys mm -hmm. right, running for president. This is not an Obama... 2008-9 scenario. What do they want to happen here? Well, when you talk about it in those terms, number one, they want both of them to step out the way. They want the GOP to move away from Trump. They want, you know, Democrats to move away from Biden. But I don't care who you talk to. Most folks you speak to want upward mobility. Like, it's all about money. Like, that's the conversation that they should be having. When they're having conversations about, you know, creating jobs, when they're having conversations about the economy being better, that's great. But is it trickling down to the least of us? You know, is it trickling down to the hood? Is it trickling down to mm. the rural areas, like, rural areas like where I'm from in Monk's Corner, South Carolina? If those people aren't feeling the relief, then, you know, they feel like, you know, what you're doing isn't, isn't necessarily... And what did you feel about Jamie Dimon, who says that, you know, if you, if you just ridicule and mock mm -hmm. the MAGA crowd, the, the, the really hardcore Trump supporters. It's wrong that you should respect all Americans, right? They're entitled to their opinion, entitled to vote for who they want to vote for. 
I mean, I thought he had a point. He also had a point that if you just over-demonise Trump... You know, I think I said on, on your show, I met yeah. Chris Rock after the 2016 election the next day, and he said, if someone's murdered eight people, don't go around saying he's murdered nine about Trump. In other words, if you just exaggerate how bad he is, it, people are going to find out. Well, see, that was 2016. I think in 2024, like, we kind of see what a Trump presidency is, is like and how bad it could potentially be. And I what think are you most worried about with him? Uh, I'm worried about, you know, uh, the threat to democracy, seriously, because when you hear a guy say, hey, we should get rid of the Constitution in order to overturn the results of election, like, when you hear a guy say, you hear his lawyers in court say, well, he never agreed to uh, support the Constitution, it's like, whoa, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, black, white, gay, straight, if you're an American citizen, you cannot have a leader of the free world who does not respect the Constitution. Dave, you can't have someone who doesn't respect the Constitution. No, you can't. The well, first off, the beauty of America and our system and the Constitution and the rest of our founding documents is that they work and we've separated no, powers enough so that guys like... Donald Trump, potentially, if he wanted to be dictator, it's not that you just flip a switch and suddenly you're a dictator. So why are not using the 14th Amendment? Well, hold on a second. I would also say that if you look at the actual reality of Trump's presidency pre-COVID, the economy was booming. Yeah. We had the Abraham Accords, lowest all-time black unemployment, lowest all-time Latino unemployment. And you may remember at the State of the Union when he mentioned that, and AOC and the rest of the Congressional Black Caucus sat there like this. I thought they would have been for low black unemployment. So Trump has done a lot of things right. And I'm saying this as somebody that wasn't even supporting him three days ago. I mean, I'm a DeSantis guy. I moved to Florida because... Well, Jamie Dimon, to be, fair, look, to be yeah. clear, he's not a big Trump supporter. Yeah. But he's, he's, locked, he's locked horns with Trump a few times. He's donated to the Democrats, right? It's not... And Trump has rubbished him in public about doing business in China. So it's not like he's a diehard Trumper himself. He just made the point, which I think is right, which is if you just abuse everyone that votes for him, you are basically committing an act of self-harm. What I would recommend anyone do as this election keeps going is as the rallies start again, and I did not vote for Trump in 2016. I did vote for him the first time, but one of the, uh, the second time. And one of the reasons that I ended up doing it was one day in L.A., I happened to drive by a rally, and I was like, you know what, let me just go in there and see what's going on. Mm. And there were black people and there were Latinos and gays for Trump, mm. and it was a joy fest. It was a party. American flags everywhere. It wasn't some coalesced idea of let's take out democracy or take out the Marxists or anything else. It was basically kind of like an F you to the system and and then just this mix of politics. I mean, that's the All right, Jessica, thing were you Trumpism. in this party he's talking about? <laughs> <laughs> was right I, I wasn't You're invited. Right? There yeah. were gays, blacks, Latinos, but no liberals. Uh, what did you think? <laughs> what did you think, Jay? There were an awful lot of liberals. Yeah, there were four actually. Bernie Sanders voters who probably didn't turn up. What did you think of Jamie Dimon's comments? Because they were interesting. I think Jamie Dimon runs a huge international business. Mm -hmm. And you can see a, a line in the sand with how people who don't want to lose customers talk about all of this. And they have to do it that way. And that's correct. But as someone who spends my time in conservative media with people who vehemently disagree with me, I'm, I've had it up to here. If I could clutch my pearls any harder, you know, whatever it is. They try to say that liberals talk the same way about conservatives that conservatives talk about liberals. If Donald Trump wins the presidency again, you will have a president who calls more than half the country, 81 million voted for Joe Biden, 74 million for Trump, calls us thugs, pedophiles, communists, Marxists, anti-Americans, traitors. I I'm not being welcomed into any sort of... I have a question. There. I have a question for you, which I asked Charlemagne yesterday. How many... Uh, immigrants did Barack Obama deport in eight years? He's 
the deporter in chief, and I've said it. Do you many, know how many? It is? Three million. I, two million. <laughs> <laughs> he only knows because I told him. He only got a Scooby yesterday. I thought it was only two. It's, it's over three million. It, it was the greatest number pro rata of any president in history. Yes, and he it did not hurt him with Latino voters. I say it all the time on the five. Biden can get tougher about this. Henry Cuellar, he's got it right how he's talking about it. The border dams, the Mark Kellys of the world. That's all fine and good. But to your point about what this world looked like or this country before COVID, Trump's setting all these records. Guess what? Biden's done better than his records. So black unemployment is lower than it was under Trump. Latino unemployment, lower than under Trump. Let's talk about oil. I can't even tell you how many times I've been told, you know, drill, baby, drill. Well, Joe Biden's doing it. 13.3 million barrels. It's the highest amount of oil produced by any country okay. in history. Good sales pitch, but here's Thank the cr cr critical question <laughs> for all of you, and it's a one-word one -word answer. If it's Biden-Trump in November... Who am I voting for? Who win? No, who wins? I, I do believe Biden wins. Trump. Donald Trump, the casting votes. Well, by, by the way, that's why that's what's so scary about it. Like, right, if, you have to think. And by the way, you don't have to want this to happen. But you're talking so, about, I know, but you're talking about a guy who has 91 criminal charges, a guy who says he wants to be a dictator for a day, a guy who says we should rip up the constitution. Against a guy who doesn't know what like, day it is. And that's what I'm saying. So if, if Biden has done all of these great things and he's up against that and we're still not sure I need a name, Charlemagne. Is he winnable? I, don't, I really don't know. you got you got to give me a name. Who's going to win? Biden v. Trump. It's the not rematch. Dean Phillips. It's not going to be Dean Phillips. <laughs> I really, truly don't know. If I had to say right now, I would say Donald Trump. Wow. There we go. The casting vote. Charlemagne the God, the man with his finger on the pulse <laughs> of America. Trump. Maybe, but I, I don't know. I really. It's a long time. You know That's what's what? so scary about there's it. A long, there's a long time to go. Brilliant to have you all. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so indeed. much. Thanks, Pierce. I'm Senator Next. I'm joined by the man who asked the world, what is a woman? And a lot of people couldn't answer. That's the world we now live in. He's the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, and he'll be live and uncensored from New York City next. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Uncensored, live from New York. I'm joined now by the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh from Nashville. Uh, how's the weather, Matt? I hear it's a little chilly down there. So we got about uh, three inches of snow and it shut the whole city down. That's the way that's why we do it here in the south. So uh, it's been it's been an adventure <laughs> for sure. Well, it's good to see you. Um, so much to talk about, as always, in your wheelhouse. But I want to talk about this extraordinary story about the Federal Aviation Administration actively recruiting workers who suffer severe intellectual disabilities, psychiatric problems and other mental and physical conditions under a diversity and inclusion hiring initiative spelled out on the agency's website. On the face of it, this seems plain ridiculous. Your thoughts? Yeah, on the face of it, it seems plain ridiculous. I think when you look deeper, it still seems plain ridiculous. Now, obviously, um, no one is claiming that at this point they're going to hire you know, someone who's blind or paralyzed to actually fly, you know, a, a Delta aircraft uh, 30,000 feet in the air. So we're, we're not, at the, maybe we'll get to that point. We're not at that point yet. Um, but the point is that they have decided, this goes back to, I believe it was 2013, an Obama-era initiative by the FAA that they wanted to diversify the airline industry. And, uh, and they have a lot of, uh, several different groups that um, they wanted to, uh, increase their, you know, participation in the airline industry. And uh, those with disabilities is one of those groups. Now, what you'll hear from people on the other side of this, the people that are, you know, fans of these kinds of diversification efforts, is that, well, yeah, they're doing this, but they're not lowering the standards at all in order to do it. That's the claim anyway. Um, and, and it's true that whether it's the FAA or any other institution that is putting DEI into practice and trying to diversify... Uh, none of them will come out and say, of course, none of them are going to say that we're lowering the standards. But that obviously is what ends up happening. Because mm -hmm. if, you, if you had the standards set a certain place and, um, and then you ended up with like a certain number of, let's say, white pilots, and then you say, well, we don't want that many white pilots, so we want to get more of other types of people in there, well, what do you have to do with the standards? Uh, you end up lowering them, and that's exactly, exactly what happens. I mean, I saw that the, the new coach um, in the NFL has replaced uh, Bill Belichick uh, of the Patriots, and he's immediately come out and played the race card and basically saying, if you don't see colour, you don't understand racism and so on. Uh, other black coaches in the NFL have taken a very different view and said all they want to see is football and players. They don't care about what colour they are. And it struck me as sort of a bizarre stance to take because... The vast majority of players, for example, in the NFL are black. I think nearly 70%. What did you make of that when you heard it? Well, I think if you are, you know, that... If we're getting to the point where we can find anti-black racism in the NFL, well, then, then just the, the concept means nothing anymore. As you point out, I think it's like 70 to 80% of players in the NFL are black. Uh, the, the NFL, if you, if you take all the different positions on the field and on the sidelines, it is, you know, black people are vastly overrepresented when you compare them to the 13% of the overall population. Um, so if we're looking for racism even there, then, uh, then, then it's just the, the entire concept is, is totally meaningless. Uh, and in, in particular, this idea that 
black head coaches are, are being targeted for racism. Of course, no, I'm not the first person to point this out, but okay, if a, if a lack of NFL, of black NFL head coaches is a result of racism, then how do you explain a lack of, say, white defensive backs on the field? Right. There's basically none right. at this point. And are they being targeted for racism? So it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, 60% of Americans, I think, in the, in the most recent poll I saw, are white. And yet they're not represented by 60% white players in the NFL or the NBA or most American sports. But nobody, nobody complains about that. No one says, well, hang on, that's racist. No one would think that way the other way around. And I admire these uh, black coaches in the NFL who've stood up and went, no, of course, it's ridiculous. It's irrelevant. All we care is how good the player is or how good the coach is or how good the executives are. Yeah, and that's and, and by the way, the reason why people don't complain the other way is that, of course, we know that uh, diversify, uh, diversity and inclusion, all these phrases, this is coded language. And what it really means is we have to make these things less white. But nobody wants to come out and say that. That's one of the reasons why you hear, uh, you'll often hear them refer to um, not only diverse groups, but they'll talk about diverse people. We, we need, we need a, a more diverse person in this role. Well, how, how could a person individually be diverse doesn't make any sense. Well, then you understand what they're really saying is we want a non-white person. They just don't want to come out and say that. And I think another important point that you brought up is that, you know, if we are obsessed with representation, if it is very important mm. that every group be exactly represented in every industry that we look at, and I don't agree that that is important. I think that's, a, that's a, an unworkable, untenable, unsustainable goal that makes no sense and it's totally arbitrary. But this is what representation would mean. Representation would mean that you have whatever your percentage is in the overall population, that's what you have in this industry. Um, but then you find out that that's not good enough for the representation police, which is, which is interesting. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a short break, Matt. I want to come back and talk about the Daily Wire's brilliant new comedy movie, Lady Ballers, which the title may give people a clue about what issue this is about. But, of course, it relates to this ongoing furore around trans athletes in women's sport. We'll talk about that after. And show a clip. Welcome back to Uncensored. From New York, it was a lot colder than it looked in that live shot. Matt Walsh is still with me. Uh, Matt, Lady Ballers is the brilliant new movie from you guys at Daily Wire. Let's take a look at a little clip. Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, you don't know how he identifies. If you could beat them. What do you know about the US Opens for the Global Games? You want us to compete as women. $5,000 prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all. Oh, that's called gender fluid. <laughs> I mean, it's a brilliant idea. Um, first of all, why did you make it? Well, I... I can't take credit for making the movie or writing it or anything like that. I, I play a you know a relatively small role in the film, and uh, I think my my entire role is really just is really just me being trolled by the director of the film, who's also CEO of the company, Jeremy Boring, 
where he decided to write a role for me where I am the exact opposite of who I am in real life, just to make me as uncomfortable as possible. So I'm playing this um, this kind of left wing hippie character who's also a big a big hugger. I, you know, I'm, I'm big into hugging people in the movie. Um, but I think the reason why the movie exists is pretty simple. It's, number one, it's a really funny idea, and it's also it's 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 the kind of it's the kind of movie that needs to exist. Like this this whole mm. concept of men competing against women in women's sports is absurd. It's it's ridiculous. It is it's laughable, and um, you know if this kind of thing was happening. 25 years ago, there would probably be a comedy like this made about it. But these days, yes. uh, well, they don't really make comedies anymore at all, but they certainly aren't going to make a comedy making fun of this. So so uh, we did. And the truth is that it, it really takes the whole argument on the pro-trans athlete side to its logical conclusion. You know, I've always, when I've interviewed politicians who don't want to uh, speak common sense about this, I say, well, OK, so if you have limitless self-identity and anyone can say I'm now female what happens if Usain Bolt or Floyd Mayweather decide they want to be a woman Could, would you be happier than competing against biological females in women's sport and they always have to say yes and it's always completely preposterous Floyd May Mayweather would kill women in a ring and Usain Bolt would win the 100 metres women's Olympic final by about 99 metres. I mean, it's an absurdity, which this film brilliantly lampoons, but is actually true. It is true, which is why you don't have to work that hard to make fun of it, and you don't even have to exaggerate that much. Uh, you know, this is one of the things that actually... Maybe it makes satire difficult these days, is that the reality itself is so ridiculous that uh, it's... Usually in satire, you're taking something... Uh, you're, you're taking the logic to an extreme extent to show how ridiculous it is. But in this case, we, you know, all you're doing is just, this is what's actually happening in real life. And I think that what you said there, there is key, though. You said that they, that they have to. You were talking to someone who supports men and women's sports. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they have to. They have to go along with it. They have to agree to whatever right. absurd scenario you throw at them. And they really do. They have to. Um, but it, I don't think they actually believe it. I think that the number of people who really no. deep down believe that it's fair and right for biological males to compete against females in sports, I mean, the number of people is, is vanishingly small. But on the left, they've basically boxed themselves into a corner, and so they have to defend this, and we should make them defend it. Whilst simultaneously trying to pretend that they are pro-women's rights. I mean, that's the absurdity, because, of course, it's women's rights to fairness and equality that are being dismantled at this altar of virtue-signalling nonsense. And, and they're also the people that have claimed in the past to care so much about, about maintaining women's sports. I mean, that's what Title IX was supposed to be about. You know, I, people often accuse me on the left. They'll say that... They'll say, well, you don't even care about women's sports that much. You're just pretending. I never said that. I, I, don't, I don't wake up in the morning uh, worrying about women's sports. I don't, I don't watch women's sports. I, I, so in that sense, yeah, I don't, I don't care about it in that sense. But I do care about just what's right. I care about what's logical, what makes sense. Um, I care about the kids that are involved in these sports and protecting them. So, uh, yeah, it, but if, if, you, if you do pretend that this is something that's very important to you, then uh, the question is, why, why aren't you there uh, taking up Right, this I mean, I care because I have a 12-year-old daughter who's quite sporty, and I don't want her to... If she was to suddenly be very successful at some sport, in women's sport, I don't want to have her have a dream killed or a place in a team or, you know, even you see it at the Olympic level, you see women being deprived of an Olympic place 
the coveted, glorious Olympic place by a biological male. That's just not right. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not equal. It's none of those things. And you're also, I also would not want my daughter, I wouldn't want her athletic opportunities taken from her if she decided to get into sports. I don't want her to be in a position where she has to go along with something that is a, a total farce. Like that, it's yeah. just, it's wrong to put anybody, especially kids, no matter what the context is, to put them in a position where they have to, uh, where they feel pressured to go along with something like that. And especially when the pressure is coming from adults. I mean, it's one thing when you deal with peer pressure as a kid from other kids, but in this case, it's the adults that are using their authority and their power to uh, usher you along in this direction. I think it's just utterly totally ridiculous. I, now, I want to put two pictures up on the screen for our audience. These are both Calvin Klein uh, underwear uh, commercials. One stars a female model. Uh, and the other one stars the Bears uh, actor, Jeremy Allen White. And what is comical about this is that they both reveal a lot of flesh. In fact, the man reveals more flesh than the woman. The, the female one has been censored by the Advertising Standards Authority because it's overtly sexual, but the other one is apparently absolutely fine. It, I've seen this hypocrisy and double standard on these kind of things for decades, Matt. Right? I mean, it's really absurd, isn't it? It is totally absurd. I, I, for, for that one, it's hard for me to even understand. I mean, usually when you have an absurdity like this, you can understand what, what logic they're going for, even if it doesn't really make sense ultimately. But in that case, I'm not even sure exactly what, what would their argument be. Apparently, the argument was that the, the ad involving FKA Twig, the model's physical features rather than the clothing, uh, presented as a stereotypical sexual object. He has less clothes on than she does. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense. But when you're, when you're talking about things like decency and modesty, and, and, that, and that's an important conversation to have, but I think in our culture we don't have a very coherent yeah. notion of what that even is or how to apply it, and that's how you end up with confused situations Ridiculous. Like Matt, we've run out of time. It's always great to catch up with you. I hope it warms up down there. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's it from me. Whatever you're up to, keep it on sense. I'll be back in London next week. See you then. Good night.